Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on time management. In this guide, you'll learn tips for effective time management, how to plan using the 90-minute rule, and how to create and use a time blocking system. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 268. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited about today's guest. I think this is such a, a foundational, important topic that we can all really learn something from. She is the productivity specialist. I actually have that bolded in her title. <laughs> She's a speaker, a coach, a trainer, a writer, and the host of the Productivity Straight Talk podcast. So she knows podcasts as well. She is based in Las Vegas, so all the way across the country. We are so glad to have you here, Amber De La Garza. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm so looking forward to this chat today. Me as well. So I just listed, you know, the the headlines from your resume, but a resume isn't a person. So I'd love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Maybe talk a bit about um, where you developed your passion for productivity and the journey that you've been on to get to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, my passion for what I do, I can't say that it started as a passion, but a seed. Uh, Previous to running my business, I had all of these little seeds that were planted through my previous career that led me up to where I'm at today. And most notably, uh, my previous career was actually in real estate, uh, real Mm -hmm. estate sales. I had been in that industry for about 12 years. And um, during that time, I had worked my way up through the corporate side of real estate. And so I was a a business coach for top sales executives. Mm -hmm. And during that time, my primary role as a coach was to teach business systems and how to leverage through teams. And that seed was planted when I had really successful sales executives come to me and say, this is so great. Like, I totally want to do what you're, you're recommending, but I have no time. Like, I'm so <laughs> overwhelmed working in my business. I have no time to work on my business. Mm. And I was like, but it's literally being laid in your lap. And then I'd hear another version of it and another version. And then I saw people that were passionate about their um career, but burnt out. Mm. And so all of these types of things kept happening to where I started looking into what is it? How can some people be so good at time management? Um, And I really discovered that my personal belief is that time management is an essential skill set and it's a skill set that can be learned. Uh, Mm. And so I resigned from that company and set out to start my own coaching and training company specifically for sales professionals and business owners on how to um, really leverage their success through time management. I absolutely love that because I think we can all relate. You know, there's so many things that we want to do that we know would be good for us to do and we don't do them. And I think one of the big reasons is we don't know how to make the time to, to do them. Um, you know, there's lots of other excuses that we have for not doing everything that, that we know we should, but certainly there are so many, um, you know, leaders that I talk to, uh, who, who feel like there's so many things I want to do for my business. You know, I want to learn more. I want to apply the things that I've learned. I get all these tips, all this advice. I read all these books and then I don't have time to actually implement anything. And then obviously in sales, time management is, is key. So, um, it, uh, that's such a great story. And that really, um, I can see how it must've been so frustrating <laughs> to feel like I'm training people. And the reason they're not applying it is literally they can't find the time. 
Exactly, exactly. And my heart would go out to them because they did have big dreams and they they did have this opportunity laid in front of them and yet essentially didn't have the tools in their toolbox to really be able to execute. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that all of us can tell our story. It's quite lengthy, but then we look back and there's like these pivotal moments of seeds being planted to take you where you're at. And then just, just to bring that full circle is that after I started researching, I became very passionate about the topic. Uh, but when this all started and the seeds were planted, I wasn't initially passionate about it until I saw the connection of what kind of impact it can really have in our lives. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to structure a conversation today on some of the biggest productivity and time management challenges that I hear within the context of sales. Obviously, you have a significant experience um, in the sales world, so so I'm sure you hear the same ones as well. Um, I'm going to start with one of the biggest ones, which is the balancing being reactive to requests with being proactive about tasks, especially tasks like prospecting, right? It's really easy right. to just respond to the emails that come in and the meetings that are already on your calendar. And somehow that list of people you're supposed to call just never gets <laughs> called. Um, so what are some of the, the reasons maybe that that happens if you have that? And then also just what are some best practices for people to really manage that difference between reactive stuff and the proactive stuff that they need to do to hit their goals? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd first like to first start off and separate two types of being reactive. Mm. Um, one of them is probably most common is like, okay, you plan your day and um, a client calls or um, something happens that was unexpected, right? So you're going to mm. react to that situation. Mm -hmm. But the other one that I think is less spoken about and that we have the most control over are self-created fires. Ah. Meaning <laughs> things are falling through the cracks. We don't have processes and systems. And now those are bubbling up and they they show up as in fires that you you need to put out as the firefighter, but you're not acknowledging that you may have created that fire. Mm. And so I really like to talk about not just like how do you put out the fire and move on, but like how can you proactively um, build that momentum so that less fires are being created. And I think a lot of that is going to be um, planning your day, right? It sounds so like, okay, I've heard this before, <laughs> but planning our day um, kind of goes by the wayside because no day ever goes as planned. And yeah. we think that it should. Uh, I'm here to tell you, uh, if a day goes exactly as planned, you are the extreme, like you, you are living in an alternate universe. Like <laughs> I would want to meet you. Um, and so I think we can just start saying, you know, no day is going to be, go as planned. Great. But I'm still going to plan. And what does that look like? Um, when we plan, we're putting ourselves in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so anyways, one of my recommendations specifically for planning our day and to be able to hire, um, handle fires, whether they're self-created or, you know, something else externally is going on, is to plan in purposeful white space. Mm. And, you know, this may sound counterproductive, but when we fill our schedule from sales call to sales call to training to conference to the next thing on our to-do list – as soon as something happens unexpectedly, our entire day goes sideways and it's really stressful and hard to um, catch up. 
And so what I recommend is while you're not going to twiddle your thumbs during white space is how can you create some buffer white space so that you can handle it, tweak and adjust and get back on track quicker. Absolutely. The situation I was thinking of when you were talking about that is a doctor's office where they book straight through back to back to back. And if you're the person who comes in and you're the 10th appointment of the day, you're going to sit there for 40 minutes because they had, you know, seven minute appointments scheduled and every single one of them even ran 10 minutes. And then you're the one who ends up really, really, really in trouble. So uh, we've all seen that happen and we've all done it to ourselves. Um, And you're right. Those white spaces, they will always get filled in. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) They will. And you can actually fill them in with great things. But Elizabeth, Uh that's a great example. So when we're in sales, we're in customer service, right? And who thinks that going to a doctor's office and sitting there because the doctor backed up their appointments back to back to back feels like great customer service, Uh right? Like you're thinking, I have so much better use of my time. And yet that's the norm. When you approach your schedule in a very similar way, trying to squeeze out every single minute of your day by going back-to-back appointments, and then something happens, we're now talking a customer service issue, which then Uh could lead to a sales issue because if someone feels like their time is being disrespected, that damages the relationship. So white space can be functional in productivity, but it can also be functional in the fact that you get to show up your best to potential clients. That is such a great point. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily recognize that your own personal time management and productivity habits really strongly impact everyone around you. Um, It's usually easier to actually see the impact that they might have on your coworkers than the impact that they might have on external people like prospects and clients. But I promise you, it is touching all of them. You know, if you're consistently late to every meeting because you're you know, you, you booked back to back and the last meeting ran long because it started late because the last meeting before that ran long. Every single person is frustrated that you're late all the time. Um, if you're, if you're not following up on people, because again, you're booked back to back in meetings. And so you can't follow up on the meeting you had at 10 o'clock this morning because you've been straight through after that. So you can't send your follow-up, um, promptly. That's going to be sometimes frustrating to people. Now it doesn't mean you always, always, always can, can have, you know, a 30 minute white space after every single meeting, but having them kind of scattered through your day, that's such a good practice. And I think, um, sometimes people think it looks like I'm being lazy or it looks like I, um, I didn't fill my calendar appropriately, but it's actually, that's, that's wrong thinking. And you need to really adjust um, your mindset. One best practice that I've heard is to even just have a list of things that every time you have white space and you don't have some urgent follow-up that came out of a prior thing, um, or you didn't have to eat it up because of some fire that, that arose, having a list of like, these are the things that I will do the next time I have free white space. Is that a good practice that, that you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all have those small administrative tasks um, that we can do at any time. They're not time sensitive that Mm -hmm. I think can be great fillers because now if you don't do it, there's not going to be a fire created. But if you do do it, you're reclaiming time that when you are at your desk or you are somewhere else, you could be doing focused work that's not distracted by small tasks that, um, you know, just aren't that high of value, but still need to get done. In fact, Elizabeth, I recommend a power hour um, Mm. once a week. And the power hour is to do those non-high value activities, those things that do not have a hard time deadline. But if you can carve out and block out a power hour to do all those small tasks and batch them out, those in fact 
are the tasks and things that if ignored do become fires next week or the week after. And so if you can block out and stay really disciplined to say, you know, I'm going to do an hour and honestly, power hour sounds so much better, but mine's power hour and a half. (laughs) Um, and so as I go through my week, instead of being distracted by small things, I'll say, can that be done in my power hour? And if it can be done in my power hour, I leave it for at that time to batch it out and get it off my plate to start with a clean slate the next week. Absolutely. And I would imagine you write it down somewhere on a list for your power hour so that when the power hour starts, you don't sit there thinking, hmm, what are those things that I should be doing? But instead, uh, you're actually assigning what you're going to work on. That's such a good practice. I used to do it and I need to get back into that habit. I always, I always feel convicted when I talk to people about things like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's a great reminder. I mean, sometimes we hear new things and sometimes it's a reminder of like, oh, when I was doing that, I didn't have as many fires or, oh, when I was doing that, I felt like Monday morning didn't feel as stressful to come back to. Um, but for whatever reason, we get off on track. And that really actually reminds me, Elizabeth, I think that one of the biggest gifts we can give to ourselves around time management and productivity is the practice of recommitting. Mm. And today is a new day. This hour, in fact, could be a new hour. You're recommitting to the habits and um, activities that really serve you well. That is such a great practice. You know, I, um, we weren't planning on talking about this, but I have to bring this up. I used to have a practice of um, inbox zero and I was really, really good at that. And then I fell behind and I had to, at one point, declare a little bit of email bankruptcy. Now, if you've never heard of email bankruptcy, the extreme version is you just literally put all your emails like in a folder. all the ones that you haven't read and say, you know what, I'm not going to touch these. I I will maybe proactively reach out to people and say, if you emailed me over the last three months, I might not have seen it. I did not do that, but I sorted the email, you know, uh, for everybody that I knew that I needed to hear from and was working with and made sure I handled those, which I had been generally doing. And then I batched all of the other stuff that, you know, clearly wasn't critical because nobody was chasing me for it, (laughs) but it was getting in my way. And I got that out of my face. And it's amazing when you give yourself that permission to kind of have the reset, you don't realize how much stress is just weighing on the back of your mind. And you're constantly being worried about it and constantly feeling guilt and shame and just all these negative feelings that are not going to drive effective behaviors. And so sometimes you do have to have that kind of clearing of the slate reset um, to to get to a place where you can have the, the good habits moving forward. I agree. I actually teach a masterclass with my email protocol. Um, And one of the strategies that I teach to get back on track is chapter 13, inbox bankruptcy, which, (laughs) as you know, is that you do not repay all your debt, but specific debt. And that that. could be what you were talking about. Yeah. I think starting with a clean slate um, can be a really good way of just giving yourself that grace to restart. Definitely. Definitely. We all need to be just, you know, at least relatively kind to ourselves. Uh, people around you might not be as kind to kind to you as they should be. So at the very least, we can be nice to ourselves. And it's, it's really hard to do hard things if you're beating up on yourself all the time. And so um, the more, you know, you can, you can be in a, a relatively positive mindset about this, the more you can just forgive mistakes you've made and approach things with a, with a clean slate, uh, the better you'll be. So, Absolutely. Now, this leads into kind of the next topic, and we've already touched on this a bit, um, but I, I want to, you know, really get into this. 
when it comes to sales, what I hear from sales leaders a lot is my salespeople are clearly not planning their days. You know, I look at their calendars and it's just mostly empty with like two, you know, meetings or now two Zoom meetings that are booked on it. And and they don't really plan what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. Do you have best practices for um, salespeople or even for sales leaders to teach their teams? And how do you effectively plan a sales day? I know it's going to be different, obviously, across industries yeah. and stuff, but what are some general best practices? Absolutely. You know, I think that the common um, language around time blocking is that like every week looks the same. And for sales professionals, that can be incredibly challenging because Mm -hmm. so much of their schedule is kind of at the mercy of other people's schedule, right? We're in the Mm -hmm. customer service business. And so if they're available, you're going to make yourself available. And so in sales, I really lean to a second version of time blocking, which is Looking at the buckets of activities that you need to focus on each week, but being flexible with when they happen. Uh. So if you need to do administrative work and you need about three hours a week of administrative, whether that's like follow-up notes and um, making next steps or handing over paperwork to your team in the office, is ideally you're going to do it on, let's say it's Friday morning. But if a client calls and says, I can only meet with you Friday morning, that's a no-brainer. You're going to take that meeting. And so think of it as flexible is that you're going to move that time to Thursday because you know that Friday meeting's coming, or maybe you move it to Friday afternoon, but not being negotiable with whether that time shows up in your week, just being flexible with when it shows up so that you can move and flow and really, you know, do your highest value activity, which is selling. That is such a good practice. And it, it's so simple. And yet I think a lot of people don't think about it. And that though that's when you look up on Friday afternoon and it's five o'clock or, you know, it's summer and you get summer Fridays and it's maybe two o'clock and you're like, oh, I've got five more work, five more hours of work I still need to do. And it's or you you think about it all weekend and you're stressed all weekend and Monday morning is awful because you didn't do that thing on Friday that you were supposed to do on Friday. So it, it's such a good practice. And it actually, I think, also really addresses what we were talking about before in terms of reactivity versus proactivity. Selling, it's really easy to be great at customer service and great at maintaining a relationship because you respond to every request that comes in, but you can really fail at the stuff that nobody's going to bug you to do. Nobody is going to tell you, you didn't cold call me. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so you need to block out the time to make the outbound calls. You need to block out that time. And so if you said every week, I'm going to have four hours of outreach, it doesn't matter what four hours there are, but I'm going to have four hours of outreach. We actually, um, we recommend color coding it on your calendar. And so you can literally just look at your calendar and say, do I see four full hours of green time? For example, if that's my outbound calling time. And it's amazing how much um, different it is than if you said, you know, I'm going to block out on Tuesday afternoon, I, I cold call and then, oops, somebody said that they wanted to meet with me Tuesday afternoon. So I guess I'm just not going to make calls this week. <laughs> right. I, I definitely recommend getting it on the calendar first. And then if you need to move it, you're moving it instead of just, it didn't happen. Um, and one tip that I really like to share around this is that if you look, you may love sales, but you may re- be resistant to outbound cold calling or whatever that form of lead generation looks like for you. Mm-hmm. I would ask yourself, what time of day do you have the most willpower and or energy? So mm-hmm. I am an extrovert and that just means that I get energy from people. So my afternoons are filled with meetings with other people, because if I am low on energy, I get energy as soon as I talk to somebody. It does not matter what energy level I am prior. I had the energy and I show up. 
But Mm -hmm. I also have this thing in my business where I have to create content and I have to think, right? And that drains energy. And so if outbound calls and, and lead generation may drain your energy, I would put that in the time of day that you feel like you have the most energy so that you're, you're aligning your energy levels um, specifically so that you can show up consistently during those times. Definitely. That is such a great practice. I think a lot of people think I should I should organize the, when I make calls, especially I'm, I'm leaning on calls because that's just such a common part of outreach, whether it's a cold call or a warmish call or a fully warm call. Um, that, that seems like that's one of the, the common things that people struggle with finding time for. And um, people think, oh, I need to work out scientifically when people are most likely to pick up the phone. But if you, if that is at two o'clock in the afternoon and every single day at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're in a complete slump and you're not going to want to do anything. You're going to find an excuse every afternoon at two o'clock not to make the calls. So it's a whole lot better to make the calls at a slightly less ideal time and actually make them than to not make them at all because you were planning on, um, you know, that perfect time. It's, it's back to the principle of not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, I think, in that situation. Absolutely. You know, there's so many variables, right? And so if you're trying to think of what the ideal day is or the ideal hour is, um, let's first hack how you show up best consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then once you get that and you become habitual and you've removed any resistance, then you can shift from 11 o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, Elizabeth, I have a great example of this. I had a client in sales and he was like, I'm not making sales calls on Fridays. Nobody, nobody wants to work on Fridays or hear from me on Fridays. Like they're already checked out for the weekend. Like I E insert any story you've ever told yourself about making phone calls, right? Like whatever Mm -hmm. your story is. (laughs) And I said, okay, I I hear you. Um, what is that evidence? And he's like, oh, I just, you know, I think this and that and whatever. I said, all right, so do me a favor prove me wrong. Like, just prove me wrong. Start making phone calls. And I said, because guess what? I actually think people are more willing to respond to an email or a phone call on a Friday because they don't want to work and do the hard work. It's Uh easier to respond to a phone call or shoot off an email in response on a Friday if you don't want to work. And he, you know, he did it and he couldn't prove me wrong. And that wasn't the point. The point was, is can you break the stories you have about whatever mm. resistance so that you can show up consistently? Um, a lot of productivity is about mindset. A lot of time management is about breaking the stories we have and, you know, really testing, are they true or is it a story that we're telling ourselves on why we're not showing up consistently? That is such, such, such excellent advice because um, we call it a lot of times head trash. You know, it's it's <laughs> these self-limiting beliefs that you have. It's these assumptions that you're making. Uh, it's trying to read the mind of people that are not you. You can't even fully read your own mind. You definitely can't read the minds of other people. <laughs> and so um, it's amazing how easy it is, though, to assume that things won't work so you just don't have to do them. And right. it's, it's amazing how somehow all of these self-limiting beliefs and assumptions mean that you can't do the thing that you don't want to do. So um, it's it's definitely if you know if if you are not going to show up. I love that if you're not going to show up well on a Friday because you're just going to be unpleasant, then don't make calls on Friday. But don't assume that the the person on the other end is not going to be there until you've made enough calls to prove that, and then you right. you do have to figure out what what to do. Absolutely. Um, 
All right. Now you've kind of touched on this um, based on, you know, your description of your personality, but I think this is pretty common as well. Selling obviously attracts people who enjoy some level of communication, right? They like to build relationships. They like to meet people. Maybe they like to travel. Um, But usually effective selling does require that you have other tasks that are part of your job. And so that would be things like you have to enter data into CRM. Woohoo! Um, You have to do some administrative work. And that can be really challenging. And somehow it's easy to kind of do the stuff that's fun and really, really procrastinate or not do the stuff that you find less fun. So what are some of the best practices that you've found for making sure that those unpleasant tasks don't kind of fall between the cracks um, or, you know, start a fire that you're going to have to really put out later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the best example I can give you is like the, the notes for after a meeting. Oh um, my I <laughs> there or even after a phone call, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're like, no, no, no. I'm just going to go on to the next call. Um, look, it's not fun and it can be boring. And those are probably very true very true truths for you, but it is so important to the success of your role. Um, And so the best advice that I can give around this is chunk it out in bite-sized pieces. Mm. Don't think that you're going to like do all of your notes for the whole week on Friday or, (laughs) or Mm -hmm. that you're going to do it, um, you know, once a month and they loom over you and they weigh you down. I love to bookend my days. And one of those is called um, the five daily planning pavers, which is just your own process. And of course, I teach that in all the steps. But one of the steps that you can include as a sales um, professional would be that you are going to capture the notes. And I would say find the least resistant way to do that. Um, And again, I'm giving an example of notes, but Fill in the blank of any administrative tasks that you feel overwhelmed with and how can you do little pieces of it on a consistent basis instead of it making it what I call, this is the terminology I share with my clients, the big scary teddy bear that's in the closet. (laughs) It's a a teddy bear, but when you ignore it long enough, it's like this big giant monster and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so behind on my notes. I'm so behind on updating the CRM. My sales manager is you know, down my throat about getting updates. And then you just shut down about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say small incremental and how can you um, make it part of your daily routine so that it's not that big of a deal? Absolutely. I think we can all think of examples where we've done that, whether it's, you know, uh, I need to track my expenses and I haven't been putting them in a spreadsheet over, you know, the course of the month. And so now it's the end of the month and I'm trying to track down receipts and I'm rummaging through folders and pockets and looking all over the place and trying to figure out when my travel was. It's just, it's so much more difficult and stressful the longer you wait. And the same thing with have call notes. When it's fresh in your mind, you're going to actually remember what you talked about. And so if you didn't write something Something down completely, um, or you didn't, uh, you know, if you didn't write anything down and you're trying to remember what you talked about in a selling conversation at, you know, 10 o'clock this morning and it's 5 p.m., you might not remember. And uh, so, you know, that that just doing it promptly, it, it's not just the bite-sized pieces, but it's also a lot of times that it's going to be a lot easier to do closer to um, when the, you know, the precipitating action happened, whether again, something like an expense or something like um, a call note or anything like that. A lot of times it's based on information that you gained at a specific time. And so if you can tie the, the data entry or the data capture, whatever that is, to when it happened, it's generally the easiest time to do it anyway. 
Absolutely. One of my favorite hacks around this is, I mean, you can do take audio notes on your phone. Like if you have an iPhone, I like Voxer. It's an app. It's like a walkie talkie. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that because if you have an assistant, you can Voxer your verbal notes to your assistant and mm -hmm. then they can transcribe them and put them in the CRM or you can Voxer yourself and then just listen to them at the end of the day or the if you're choosing the end of the week when you need to make updates. Uh, but it's a really good way that if you are on the go or if you are kind of back-to-back -back meetings, you can capture really quickly who you spoke to, what are some main points, what did you promise as a follow-up? Mm. I think that's a big thing that, that you know, we mean the best of intentions when we're in front of a prospect or a client. Um, and then because we don't follow through and they fall through the cracks, uh, that damages the relationship. So using something like voice capturing, um, and so it doesn't feel as so administratively heavy as sitting in front of your computer and pounding out at the keys all the notes. Uh, so find the way that's least resistant to you to get the job done and get creative with it um, so that it, it doesn't feel so hard and you can be consistent. Absolutely. That's such a great idea. Um, a, a concept that we talk about a lot at Criteria for Success is the idea of philosophy and mechanics, where you need to agree on a philosophy. You need to agree on a why, the, the big principle. So the principle is I need to do this in bite-sized pieces more consistently, more closely tied to when you know it, it happened and not build up a huge backlog that I'm going to have to take care of at the end of the week or the end of the month. And then figure out the mechanics that work best for you. And everybody's going to be a little bit different here. Um, but, and everybody's situation is different. You know, I had a client and it, I, I just keep coming back to that issue of call notes because that, that's, you know, a really, really common one that I hear. And what would happen is they had, their salespeople were all on the road constantly. And they mm -hmm. didn't actually have remote access to the CRM system. Like it was not mobile optimized and they didn't have, um, they didn't offer the team like hotspots or anything so that they could bring their computer and have the computer in the car and, and enter the notes that way. And so the, the systems were actually kind of preventing um, the team from entering their notes incrementally, even throughout the day. And so you had people who were on the road from 6, 7 a.m. to 7, 8 p.m. And they'd come back and then they'd be entering call notes into the CRM until 11 o'clock. And it just yeah. was, it was completely unwieldy. And so you do have to figure out, you know, if, sometimes there's an actual change that needs to be made to the system. You know, you need to turn yes. mobile access to CRM, but um, you have to figure out what's the way that it'll work for me. Because if you could auto record yourself sharing the notes, literally as you're driving to the next stop, again, for the, for the people who have a job like this, it's amazing the difference. And then, like you said, if you promised, I'll get you the con, you know, I'll get you a sample. I will send you a proposal by two o'clock tomorrow. I will get you a timeline. I will get you whatever. And you forget that it's a huge impediment to sales. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it makes you look unprofessional bluntly. It makes you look scattered and, and messy and people will forgive a certain amount of messiness, but it's really, really different forgiving somebody messiness than having somebody who's just super professional, super on top of things, always takes care of what they say they're going to take care of, you know, dots the I's and cross the T's. It's, it's just a level of comfort and stress that you're, you're just reducing the stress, reducing the risk um, of the person that you're talking to. And, and buying something is always some level of risk. It's always, you know, somebody's always taking a chance. It right. doesn't matter what it is that you're selling to them. They're deciding to change from what they have right now to, to go with what you have. And so if you're making the sales process seem kind of risky because you seem like you're a bit of a flake, that's a real impediment to sales. You know, sometimes 
you know, you, you have to be nice to yourself, but I think you also have to be honest with yourself. And if you are letting things like this fall through the cracks, there are sales you are not getting because of the, the lack of, you know, time management and the lack of staying on top of things. And so you have to figure out some solution to this because it's, this is to me is one of the bigger problems um, that, that people don't always recognize. You know, you think my opportunity is just kind of founder. It's like, well, you didn't do the follow-up that you were supposed to do. So. (laughs) Right. I, you know, Elizabeth, I have this great example. This weekend, my husband and I went to go buy a razor. It's, it's a four seater UTV. So um, Mm kind of outdoors thing, right? Pretty big purchase. Mm -hmm. And we left a down payment and it was on the, 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 um, the expectation that they were going to call us back top of the day on the business hour Monday morning, and they were going to give us some answers on some things they couldn't do over the weekend. They were going to order some things. Like they had some promises. Monday comes and goes. My mm-hmm. husband is fired up, and and he's he's like, I I left them a sizable check, and if this is the way they do business, I'm not really confident this is going to be a great transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so then it shook his confidence and he's thinking maybe we made the wrong decisions of going with that dealership and he was spiraling and this is not my husband right but i mean this was a big transaction and a lot of money and we really wanted to do business with the right people and we, they were amazing when we were there but when we left the promises weren't being fulfilled and so this was me i come out of my office at lunch and he's telling me and i said babe look this is my business like i'm gonna tell you they're probably swamped with clients that they're there and i bet that if it wasn't on a sticky note on their monitor when they showed up on monday morning they're on to the next thing and kind of forgot about what happened on saturday and Mm -hmm. so the point of this is is that my husband made a decision to purchase with them and trust them and that confidence left money, which means that was a important decision for him. And for them, they were onto the next sales. And, and so it's not about what's right or wrong, but what is the perspective uh, perception of the client? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he got really straight with them and told them what he, what was going on and what his expectations were. And they of course made it right. But that is such a great example that if we don't have time management, um, as a priority, not because we think we're good at it or we're not, but because it's absolutely essential to making good business decisions and sales and making our clients confident. Um, we are missing a lot of opportunity in the sales department. Absolutely. And they're the people that you don't hear from because you didn't do your follow-up. And so they don't have anything to get back to you on. It's, you know, in this case, obviously you're, you had paid them money. And so there was a reason to chase them. You left a down payment. But if you hadn't left a down payment and they promised you all these follow-ups and they didn't make them, you might just call another dealer. And yes. if they don't follow up and call you and ask you what's going on, um, they're just thinking, oh, you know, they decided not to buy this. And it's like, no, actually it was on you. And so these are the prospects you don't hear from because you're the one who dropped the ball, not them. Absolutely. And you know what? That part of the story happened too. Like before we went to that dealership, my husband was calling around and he was blown away at how many times somebody would say, I'll call you back or I'll get you that estimate. And it would take three days or they would never get the estimate. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I was looking at it through the lens of well, how can I go help them? Uh, because I realized, <laughs> I realized it is not that they don't want to sell anything, but really probably a time management process and efficiency issue. Um, but I know I didn't always have that perspective, Elizabeth. 
Um, here's, here's one more good example. When I first got into my business and I made sales calls and people didn't call me back, it was easy to kind of take that personal, like, oh, maybe they don't want to do business with me. But as soon as I realized how messy <laughs> business owners <laughs> and salespeople can be, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to do them a favor and keep following up. That wasn't about me. They just don't have the time to um, check their email and they lost the phone message and all of that, that that was just an opportunity for me to help them. And that was just one little mindset shift of um, the perspective. Per, um, perception of, oh, maybe they don't want to do business with me or no, actually they're just disorganized and there wasn't follow-up. That is a really great point. And I, I can see how it was easy for you to kind of discover that for two reasons. First of all, because this is what you're an expert in, but second, because you're also a business owner. And so you could see how difficult it is to be a business owner. Um, and so I do think that's another, that's another one of those assumptions that we were talking about earlier. It's one of the stories we tell ourselves. We mm -hmm. think every request we make of a prospect, um, if they don't fulfill that request, it's because they don't like me. It's because they don't want to move forward. It could just be that they're a sloppy, messy person. <laughs> it could just right. be they're human and it fell between the cracks. It could be that they had a family emergency. Like there, there are valid reasons that people can forget things. So if you're the one who's making the requests, if you're the one who wants the deal, you have to be the one who's going to do the follow-up and the chasing. And certainly you need to do everything you commit to and hold yourself to a very high standard. And that also does give you a bit more, you know, right, I guess it's hard to say, you know, but it, you can call somebody on flaking out on you if you have never flaked out on them. But if you're constantly <laughs> right. dropping balls, you can't say you didn't send me the thing you were going to send me. Well, you never sent me the seven different things over the last three months that you said you were going to send me. So I figured it didn't matter to send things on time. So, you know, it, it, it's, there's a little bit of integrity that you can, um, establish by following through on your own commitments. Um, and that does actually influence the prospect. Um, if they, if they see you doing that, it's, it's somewhat contagious. We found. Uh, yes. You know, I was just thinking about this as we're talking and I'm like, you know, if you want to stand out above your peers or your competition, mm. follow up. Mm. Like it, it, it seems like that should be the way we do business. But if you do have a system for consistently following up and that time is showing up on your calendar and you're doing it consistently, I, I would really bet that you will stand out above your competition and peers because it's such a challenge in the industry. And so if you can get yourself into a system and the discipline of doing it regularly, I think it would have a huge impact on your sales just by following up. Definitely. And you can also, if you have sales that are taking a long time, you can actually uh, accelerate your pipeline by having a uh, faster follow-up. And it's just a really simple thing of mm -hmm. if, if you're sending one email a week and it takes five different email transactions to close something, it's going to be five weeks. But if you sent that email every three days and you were able to get the information process faster and get the back and forth, obviously it depends on your prospects buying you know, journey. And if they need more time, they need more time. But a lot of times actually sales is slowed down just by the speed of the follow-up. And so if you want to sell more, it helps if you can turn five weeks into three weeks, you can fit a lot more opportunities into your pipeline that way. And it's something I think a lot of people don't realize how much they could speed up opportunities just by doing a little bit faster follow-up. And it's not like, you know, you have to have a meeting and send a response within five minutes. But if you can send a proposal, you know, by end of day that day or the next day, instead of four days later, that gives them a whole lot, you know, they're also reviewing the proposal more 
closely tied to when the meeting happened and it's still fresh in their mind. They still remember what it was that you talked about. So um, it's, it's amazing the difference when you can, um, you can make sure that your follow-up is, is fast and that really just speeds up the whole pipeline. Yeah, I love the the turn that our conversation took and that so much of time management or follow-up or blocking out, um, you know, this type of activity, how important it is to the sales process. Because mm-hmm. I think there's been so much conversation about, yes, block out lead generation in your calls. And that's only half of the formula. Um, and so when we actually look at the follow-up as being just as important as the actual initial contact, um, it, it resets that as a priority to where I would hope that we negotiate that off of our calendar less and less and less and show up. Absolutely. Yeah. These aren't, these aren't just kind of nice to have so that you feel better at the end of the day, although you will feel better at the end of the day and you'll be a lot less stressed, but, um, it'll drive more sales and you'll make more money. And that's generally uh, a good thing. So <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I have so loved our conversation, Amber. This has been a lot of fun. Um, a question I always like to ask our guests is what are some books that you would recommend to our listeners? They could be obviously related to productivity or anything in general. Yeah. Um, Actually, one of my favorite books that I've read recently is a book called Stories That Stick by Kendra Mm -hmm. Hall. And the book is written um, how to create um, and tell and share stories that ultimately help you sell. Um, And it's not the normal way that we've all learned to tell stories. And that's what I loved about it. She really created it in such a simple way that we can do it all of the time. Um, And so the book is called Stories That Stick. And that's by Kendra Hall. That sounds awesome. I haven't read that one, but I will add that to the list because um, we've told stories nonstop through this conversation. And it's amazing how much we communicate through stories and and how much more um, impactful and resonant stories are than just kind of telling people things. And so uh, any best practices, any learning, any improvement that we can all make in storytelling is going to be is going to be effective, even if your job isn't selling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, just as a little note, like my son was, let's see, nine years old and I was listening to it on audiobook and we, we stopped at the store and I went to shut the car off and he's like, no, 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 no. Now <laughs> mind you, I'm reading a business book about stories that stick and we're in the first chapter and she so well, she was able to tell a story so captivating that it even caught a nine-year-old's attention to where he's like, no, I have to hear the end of the story. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, she's like really living this out by great example. Uh, so, hey, it may be a good family read as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome story. And yeah, I have got uh, some nine-year-old nephews and it would take a lot for a business book to capture their attention. <laughs> All right. Um, I have, I have loved talking to you today, Amber. I feel like we could continue to talk forever and ever and ever, but we're going to wind down. So if you want people to learn more about you, more about your work, if people are interested in potentially engaging with you to help them with their time management and productivity challenges, uh, where should they go? Absolutely. You can find all things about my services and how I can help you over at theproductivityspecialist.com. Uh, As you mentioned, I do have a podcast called Productivity Straight Talk. So wherever you're listening to this, that's a great place uh, to start. I share all kinds of strategies, tips, and stories um, about productivity. Um, And then lastly, what may be interest to your audience is that I have a free mini training about how to take back your time. And Mm. I share um, my best strategies for how to reclaim 30 minutes each and every day. 
Where you can grab that at is theproductivityspecialist.com forward slash take back your time. All right. That sounds amazing. So thank you so, so much, Amber, for being here. I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate um, everything that they learned today. Thanks for having me. And thank you to everybody who listened. Um, you can find the notes and resources for everything that Amber and I have been talking about at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 268. And we'll include the link to where you can get that training on how to take back your day. Um, make sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode. And check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you're not subscribed, you can do that at whatever platform it is that you're listening on right now. That'll make sure that you hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. We love, love, love feedback. So you can leave us ratings and reviews at Apple Podcasts or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFSP. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is presented by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marshall, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!